And so today we get to continue this study that we started just a, a few weeks ago, where we're taking the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, and then we'll take the book of 2 Thessalonians, and we will look at what the scriptures have uh, to teach us. I think it's relevant with the uh, world that we live in today, the climate that we're in. Uh, we can draw a lot of similarities to uh, the church at Thessalonica, and that's a mouthful, uh, Thessalonica. And, uh, and so we see that Paul is writing to the church and Paul is concerned. You'll see it through all the chapters that Paul is worried. And we realize that Paul's worried because he was only there for three weeks. And so in three weeks, he had to leave because riots broke out because there was a move of God happening. The chapter one tells us that they turned from their false gods, their idol gods to the one true God. And that messed up some people, that aggravated some folks, that caused a ruckus in the spiritual realm. And so riots broke out. And we understand that, that every time that there's a move of God, there's also a move of Satan, that he is the opposer, the adversary, that he's trying to steal, to kill and destroy. And if it wasn't worth stealing, killing and destroying, then he wouldn't be after it, right? So you have something special and that is God and that is the Holy Spirit and, and that is the anointing and the security of your salvation. And the enemy is looking to distract, to hinder, to steal that away from you. And so Paul, he leaves, at, um, the, they're making him go, 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 because these people are trying to kill you. He had a, a death sentence. And so he flees and he ends up in Corinth and we're in, in Corinth is where we believe he wrote this letter it was before he wrote the letter to the Corinthians. He wrote this. Most theologians believe that this is his very first letter that he wrote to the church. And so we get to see that. And so in Corinth, he gets an, an opportunity to write to them because he's so concerned uh, with them. And in chapter one, he just starts reminding them of the power of the gospel because he's so concerned that he didn't have enough time with them. He's so concerned that somehow they're gonna lose the faith. And we're gonna read about that today that he starts to remind them in chapter one of what the gospel did in their life. And I think it's important for us too, to be reminded of what the gospel did in our life. I don't know about you, I don't know where you were in your BC days, your before Christ days, but I can remember my life. I can remember the darkness. I can remember the depression. I can remember the opposition. I can remember me rebelling against God wanting to have nothing to do with that and, and seek me, myself, and I to seek after the life that I thought was best for me. I remember the moment that Christ saved me, radically transformed me. I went from darkness to light. And so maybe that's the same for you, that you had that experience where you went from darkness to light. And Paul's just reminding them of that, of the power of the gospel. Then chapter two, as we heard last week, uh, he just begins to pastor them. And he's like talking about his time with them. Don't forget how I spent time with you and I was like a, a nursing mother to you and I was like a father to you. And he's just talking about how intimate he got with them. And then he begins to end chapter two, telling them that he's longing. You hear his pastoral heart. He's like, I'm longing to be back with you. And we read that he says, but Satan is hindering me. He's hindering this. And so we see in chapter three, as this kind of storyline continues, that Paul says, well, if Satan's gonna hinder me from coming, I'm gonna send Timothy. And we, we, we see in chapter three that he sends Timothy. Timothy brings back a report of how they're doing. And then we get to read about that report. And so it's a really good opportunity for us to, to see what Paul's thinking and to see how the church is doing. He's so concerned with their faith that in these 13 verses that we're gonna read, it's the whole chapter, chapter three, and 13 verses, he mentions their faith five times. And all the other verses are talking about the five times he mentioned their faith. He's so concerned about their faith. And so we're gonna to get to read that today and learn about our faith 
And so if you would, take your Bibles, go to 1 Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible, we always have Bibles on the side walls on those bistro tables where our prayer team is at the end of service. There's a stack of them. You can have them. You paid for them. They came out of the tithe. They're, they're not mine. So I would encourage you, if you need a Bible, grab a Bible. But we're gonna go to 1 Thessalonians chapter three. If you have your Bible, have your place, I would love if you would stand. I know you've been standing for a long time. We're standing now out of reverence and honor to the word of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter three, Paul says this. He says, therefore, when we couldn't bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted and our labor would be in vain, verse six. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported how, how you always remember us kindly, long to see us and as you long to see, to see you, as I long to see you for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and afflictions, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see, your face, see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11, now may the God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. Can we pray, Father? We pray as Paul prayed, God, that you would increase our love for one another. Lord, that we may be found blameless and holy in your sight at the coming of, your, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, you're coming again. And Father, we thank you for the faith that we can put in you today. God, as we, as children of faith, as we study your word today, Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith today. And Lord, we love you and we honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated today. I'm gonna talk to you about our series title, the kind of the tagline. Uh, it's, the it's the title of the message today, Unshakable Faith, in uncertain times, unshakable faith in our uncertain times. You noticed how many times that Paul talks about faith. He's concerned about faith. And now we need to establish what Paul means here because as he starts this, he's starting off by talking about not like faith in trust. Like, you know, we use the word faith a lot to mean trust, like trust in God, just have faith in God, believe that he's gonna do what he said he would do. Well, Paul's not starting off that way. Paul's talking about their faith, their belief in the gospel. Because he was only there for just a few weeks, because he didn't have much time to disciple them and establish them, he's concerned that when the affliction comes in and the tempter comes in, they're gonna turn from the faith. And that's why he said, my labor would be in vain because you would turn back to those false gods. And so 
Paul is concerned that these baby Christians are gonna go back to their old way of life. And so this has consumed him so much that he's, that he's had to send Timothy, that he even let, lets us know that things aren't going great in Athens, and so, but we, we will be here alone. He's like, in the middle of all this conflict, if you know the context of that, that's why he puts that in there, that I was willing to be left alone in Athens. It's because Athens wasn't good for him either. He was getting persecuted there as well, but he, it meant so much to him that these believers be established and exhorted in their faith that they did not turn when the tempter came in. And so we're gonna, we're gonna get to see this, that, that, that um, when we have faith, when we turn from our idols to the one true God, there's things that transpires and things that we need to do to have unshakable faith, to be able to stand firm, to keep the faith as Paul is wanting these guys to do it. And so Paul reminds them of a word that we don't like to hear. He reminds them of the word afflictions. He says that afflictions are gonna come and that we told you this, read back on verse three. He said, I don't want anyone to be moved by these afflictions for you yourself know that we are destined. You're destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were gonna suffer afflictions just as it's come to pass. He said, I'm gonna keep telling you beforehand. He said, I told you before I presented the gospel message to you, there was gonna be persecution. There was gonna be afflictions. And I don't know about how the gospel was presented to you, but when it was presented to me, it had nothing to do about afflictions and persecution and suffering. I did not know what I was signing up for. I did not know that when I give my life to Christ, that the Bible says, and we're gonna read later, that it's gonna be through much affliction and suffering and pain and tribulation that I enter the kingdom of God. I thought that when I was giving my life to Christ, it was just to make my life better. That I was adding Jesus to my life to, to benefit my life to boost my life because there was blessings that God had and I wanted those blessings and I didn't want the breaking. Nobody likes to preach the breaking. We want the blessings of God. But as we grow and we mature and we understand that there is no blessing without a breaking, that there's gonna be suffering, there's gonna be turmoil, there's gonna be trials and tribulations because we have an adversary. We have an opposer from the garden until now. There has been a, a, the devil, Satan, Lucifer himself, that is trying to oppose the plan of God. He's trying to corrupt the seed of God. And so we understand that. And so Paul's reminding them. He said, hey, I led with this. I told you that there was gonna be persecution. There was gonna be afflictions, but yet you still turned. You still came. You still gave your life to Christ. And so we see that. We see that he doesn't want us to be moved by these afflictions because we're destined. We're destined for this. Yes, Paul says, we're destined for salvation. That's why we see in the gospel, we see, you know, we see in the, actually in this book, every chapter mentions the return of Christ. That moment we're gonna be in glory with him and we're gonna, we're gonna be in, in heaven with him. But every chapter he also mentions suffering. So I think it's important for us to understand as Christians today that we're destined for two things. You're destined for salvation and you're destined for suffering. You're destined for salvation and you're destined for suffering. And we don't like to hear that. I love the salvation part. I love serving a God who saves me from something, saves me out of my turmoil, saves me out of my trouble, but I don't like that suffering part. And today we'll talk a little bit about suffering when it, talk, when it comes to our faith because the, sal the salvation part is key because the salvation part gives us hope in the middle of our suffering, that God is gonna rescue us, that he didn't destine me for wrath, that there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we thank the Lord for that salvation part. It gives us hope, hope that this suffering is just temporary, hope that 
Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's our hope, but we also must understand that his suffering is coming as well. And so when we encounter suffering as Christians, that suffering can do one of two things. It can increase our faith or it can end our faith. And we see it happen all the time. We see people that encounter suffering, hardship, affliction, whatever you wanna call it. And some people, man, it increases their faith. Man, they, they, they run to God, they run to his word, they surround themselves with like-minded believers. And man, they just put their trust in God that he's gonna heal, he's gonna restore, he's gonna deliver, he's gonna make a way. And man, their faith is increased in it. But then others can face the same diagnosis and they turn, they get mad at God, angry at God. Why would God let this happen to me? And they leave the faith. And so as I began to think about that, why is that? Why can we have the same persecution, the same suffering in two different outcomes. Well, I think it boils down to who we trust in. Who do we trust in? Do you trust that your way is the best way or do you trust that his way is the best way? Because those people that, that their faith increases, they put their trust in him. They're saying, God, my way is not your way. I understand that, that I just see right now in the mirror dimly, but you see the full picture. And so Father, I'm trusting in you. Those who get mad at God, they're mad because they don't think he's doing it the way he should do it, that they're not doing it their way. And so they get mad at him because they're praying a prayer, hoping for an expectation, hoping that he would solve the problem their way and he doesn't do it and they get mad. And they think, God, God, you're mad at me. But Paul says, no, 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 you need to understand when it comes to suffering, we're destined for this. And so we don't need to get mad at God. We need to trust God. I love what Paul also wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, it, it helps us understand how to trust and to rely on God when our faith is tested. Second Corinthians chapter one, Paul says in verse eight, he says, for we do not want you to be unaware brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's how deep that is. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, catch that, but on God who raises the dead. We cannot rely on ourselves. Listen to me, church, when your faith is tested, when, you're, when, you're, when suffering comes, you can't rely on yourself and your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts. You have to rely on God. And that's what Paul's saying, that when I went through all this persecution and I felt like I was literally dying, it was an opportunity for me not to run from God, but to run to God, to rely on him. And he says that, I love what he puts in here. He says, I felt like it was a sentence to death. I had a death sentence. Felt like I was destined to die, but I serve a God who raises the dead. You see Paul's faith there, that he understood that whatever he went through, God was the solution to that. And so if I, if, I, if I have a sentence of death and I feel like I have a death sentence on my life, well, I serve a God who raises the dead. Well, if I'm, I'm going through physical ailment and I've just got a diagnosis, well, I serve the God who's the great physician. If I feel like I have a mountain in front of me that won't move, I serve a God who moves mountains. That's where our faith needs to be today, church, is that he is the solution to every problem that we have. And so Paul said, when I go through sufferings, I'm destined for this, but I serve a God who can make a way in every one of those areas. And so I trust in him, I rely in him, not on my own, my own self. I see it as an opportunity for me to rely on God and to increase my faith, not leave the faith because I'm destined for this. If we forget 
that we're destined for this. That this is all, that in this life, we're gonna have trouble. If we forget that, then we can lose our way. If we forget that, then we can question our faith. If we forget that, then we get mad at God, angry at God, and wonder why he allowed this to happen. But we understand that his ways are not our ways. Now, we don't downplay suffering and hardship and things that people have gone through. We understand that it's hard, that it hurts. We understand that, that pain is real, that trauma is real. We understand that people have hurt you in ways that are unspeakable. We get that. Now, God might not have caused that suffering, but he can use that suffering for his honor and for his glory. And you can find hope in that, and hope in that, that I can, I can draw closer to him. And that through this trauma, through this suffering, I can have a story of hope, of, of a testimony that I can share the goodness of God. You see, not only are we destined for this, Jesus was destined for suffering. And let's learn from Jesus today, right? The great example. Hebrews tells us how Jesus learned through suffering. Look at Hebrews 5, verse eight. It says, although he was a son, he was a son of God, although he was Jesus Christ, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned through that. He learned obedience. And then Hebrews 12 tells us, a great reminder for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we see that there's a training happening. There's a maturing happening. That that season of suffering is not punishment. That God's not mad at me. It's preparation. He's preparing me. And so that season of suffering is not punishment, it's preparation. That I can be trained by this, that I can be equipped by this, that I can be sharpened and I can mature, that I can grow into a fruit of righteousness, of holiness, that I'll be found blameless, as Paul writes, found blameless at the second coming of Christ. And so we must understand that that suffering is not God punishing you, that God's not mad at you. You see here in the text that, that the enemy came in, chapter two, tried to hinder this. Chapter three, he says, the tempter. He said, I'm afraid that the tempter came. You see, every time we suffer, every time we go through persecution, the enemy comes in and he tries to use that, twist that to make you turn on your faith. He'll say things like, well, you'll never be good enough. Because you did that, it disqualifies you. Because you did that, this is your punishment. God's mad at you. Because, because of all the mistakes that you made, now you're living in a punishment that you'll never amount to anything, that you'll never be good enough, that God will never use you. Your, your prayers are falling on deaf ears because you did that. And that's the lie of the enemy. That's when the tempter comes in and tries to tempt you to turn from your faith. But we're reminded that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, that the old is gone and the new is here, that I'm a new creation. And so that's the enemy. That's not God. When, God, when, when that voice comes in and tells you that you'll never be good enough, that you messed up, that you're too far gone, that's not God. That's the enemy, the adversary. And we gotta call it for what it is. That's why the Bible says, take those thoughts captive and bring them under submission. I'm submitting them to Christ and who he says that I am. So God's not punishing you. But there also is a principle in the Bible called sowing and reaping, all right? And, and sometimes we punish ourselves. I know we don't wanna hear that, but we, sometimes we're just reaping what we sowed. And we did bad things. We veered off the path. We went outside the boundaries of God and what he said for his people. And we have to live with the consequences of that. And oftentimes you'll cry out to God, I don't know why God's punishing me. I don't know why this is happening to me. And sometimes it's because you sinned. 
because you had sex before marriage. It's because you didn't treat your body like a temple and you fed it a bunch of junk. It's because you did something that God says don't do. And we have to reap those repercussions. There's actions there that we have to live in. But God can deliver you from that. God can redeem those moments. But sometimes we're destined for it. It's a part of God's plan. He's not gonna redeem you from the situation because he wants you to grow and mature in the situation. And so we see here that we're destined for this. And I love what Acts tells us, Paul, again, writing, actually this is, yeah, in Acts 14. Acts 14, verse 22, it says that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. They were encouraging them to continue in the faith. Why? Because they told them, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so we understand that there's gonna be trials, there's gonna be tribulations. If we wanna enter into his glory, if we wanna hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter into your reward. Well, that reward comes with a lot of heartache, a lot of trial. Everybody wants a great reward, but they don't want the work for it. They don't want the breaking for it. They don't want the suffering. But the Bible is clear that that road to that reward is narrow. And the road to the to destruction is wide. And we want the wide path, the easy path, the path that everybody else travels so we don't have to st step over stuff. It's a smooth path, but it leads to destruction. The path that leads to everlasting life is narrow and it comes at a cost. And so Paul's reminding them that if they wanna have unshakable faith in uncertain times, we're destined for suffering. And if we forget that, then we can allow the enemy to come in in that season of suffering and twist it and make it seem like God's mad at me. Make it seem like I, I'm just gonna give up on the faith, that God is done with me or question whether if there is even a God. The enemy comes in. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse five, he said, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for the fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So not only are we destined for suffering, but to make it worse, the enemy's gonna use that suffering and twist that suffering. He, that word right there, the tempter, tempting, literally means to test you. And so I think it's important for us to know today as Christians, our faith will be tested. Our faith will be tested. When we give our life to Christ, it's not all roses. And I know this, if you're not a Christian yet, I know you're like, oh man, I don't know if I wanna be a Christian. But maybe like Paul, when he said, hey, I told you beforehand, Maybe you'll still turn because the Holy Spirit's drawing you into this. There's blessings, but there's always a breaking. And I think that we as a church need to understand that so that we can stand firm in our faith. We've been in that season of standing for some time now. I think every sermon over the last year, we've incorporated standing firm, standing strong, standing rooted, grounded, deep. Why? Because, because the Lord's preparing a church. They can stand when the winds get tough. When everybody else is bowing, He's looking for somebody who can stand and not bow to the culture, not bow to the pressures. And so we're in a season of growth, but it's not a season of growth this way. It's a season of growth that way, where he's establishing us, where we're rooted and built in him, a, a great strong root system that grows deep beneath the soil so that we can withstand the attacks of the enemy. It's so common, even pastors in ministry, it's so common for when they go through trials and tribulations, they leave the faith, they give up. And so Paul, he's like, I don't want that. I don't want the tempter to tempt you. I don't want your, when your faith is tested, I don't want you to turn. We see in Matthew four, even Jesus himself was tempted by the tempter. 
Look in, in Matthew 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice when the tempter came. He didn't come on day one, day two, day three. He came on day 40 at his weakest moments when he was hungry. Listen, church, you might know this already, but the enemy will come at your darkest moment, at the midnight hour, when you're in your room by yourself alone and you're all in your head and you're thinking thoughts that you don't need to think. You're on the battleground of your mind. And that is the moment that the enemy comes in and he tries to tempt you to do something, to entice you to turn, entice you to sin. That's when your faith is tested most. And look what Jesus did. He didn't respond out of emotion. That boy was hungry, starving, 40 days. He could have easily said, oh, uh, yeah, sure, bread, pizza, whatever. I, can, I got it. I can make it happen. But what did he do? He didn't respond out of emotion. He went back to what he knew. And it's in those moments of weakness, church, the moments of suffering, the lowest of lows, that you have to go back to what you know. Respond with the word of God that never changes. He says, that's not what the word says. Man shall not live by bread alone. Do you, church, know what to say when the tempter's in your face? Do we know the word of God? Have we hidden it in our heart, the word says, that I might not sin against him? May we be a church that's hungry for the word of the Lord. That we, that, that, that not reading it doesn't make me feel guilty. Not reading, reading it makes me feel hungry. That I'm hungry. I need his word. That's what Paul, he's trying to establish them in their faith. He's trying to say that you're going to be tested. You're going to be tempted, but it doesn't have to take you out. He wrote that to the Corinthian church, actually. First Corinthians chapter 10. Let this be encouragement to you today. I know we need some encouragement after this. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with, with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Notice that way of escape isn't to the end so that you can endure it. He's not gonna rescue you from it right in the middle of it just so you can miss out on the preparation. But God's gonna let you out at the end of it so that you can endure it and be mature. And so we see here that our faith will be tested. We're destined for this. The tempter, he's gonna come. He's gonna come. He's gonna shake things up. He's gonna try to take us out. But Paul, he praised the Lord. May we be like the church in Thessalonica, that the good news was they didn't turn. They stood fast. First Thessalonians 3, 8, we read it. He said, Paul said, now I can live. He said, I can breathe because you're standing fast in the Lord. We're standing fast. That word means to stand firm, to stand firm in our faith. We're still on the same theme of standing firm in our faith. We see it all through. This is a central theme of the gospel. The central th theme of the Bible is that you're gonna have to stand firm in your faith because you're destined for salvation. Yes, you're destined for suffering as well. We're on the way to heaven, but we're gonna have to go through a little bit of hell along the way. Like it's gonna be hard times. And he said, I need you to stand firm and to not turn, not to bow down, to stand firm in your faith. The Corinthian church, we don't have time to give you all the context, but they were giving him such a ruckus with this that I want us to read what Paul said to them because it relates to some of us in the room today. 
1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, Paul, he's trying to get him to stand firm. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. He said, act like a man and be strong. We get so mad. We lose the faith so easy. We turn, we're so weak when it comes to trials and tribulations and sufferings. And Paul's like, man, you just gotta act like a man. You gotta be strong in this. Stop being a wimp. I mean, can I tell you in a world that's such affirming and such don't wanna offend you and I wanna accept you for who you are, can I just tell you how to love and care and pastor you and tell you to start acting like a man? To be strong in the faith? To don't just give up when things get hard? That you're destined for this. We've gotta be strong. We don't, we don't always wanna hear it. As we read that punishment, it's not pleasant in the moment, but it matures us. And I, can, and I can bear fruit, fruit of righteousness. And so Paul's telling the church, he's like, man, you gotta act like a man. I know the burden's heavy. I know, it's, I know it's heavy, but act like a man. Carry that burden. Cast that burden on Jesus. He's the one that raises the dead. I'm just reminded of that, that in every season, every suffering, if it feels like a sentence of death, God raises the dead. So Paul realizes He's rejoicing. He says, man, I'm glad I can live now because my labor was not in vain. You did not turn when it got tough. I want us to flip ahead right before we, before we close here in a moment to 2 Thessalonians because it gives us a little bit of context. We're gonna get there in a few weeks, but it gives us some insight of what he's talking about because he wrote back to them again. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses three and four, look at what he said. After he already wrote his first letter, and heard back, he wrote again, and he said, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. So they were still enduring it. They were still standing strong. They did not give up. They had perseverance and steadfastness in their faith. They were growing and standing firm because they knew that they were destined for that. And so we see all through that chapter, chapter three of 1 Thessalonians, Paul's concerned about their faith. And then we see that Paul ends this with a prayer. Paul prays for the church. And this prayer is beautiful because he then ties in faith with an action. He ties in faith with an action. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3, starting in verse 11. This is his prayer. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He closes the chapter connecting faith and love. We read about it in chapter one, how he's praising them for their faith and their love. And then we read about it again. And it's gonna be a continual cycle that we'll see all the way through 2 Thessalonians that Paul is saying that as you stand firm in your faith, you also need to love. You see, love is, is how we demonstrate our faith. Because when you're in a season of suffering, you can, all, you can be all about me, myself, and I. And I'm so focused on me that I forget about we. 
I forget about everybody else. And Paul's reminding them, he's praying for them that they may abound and increase, that they may overflow with love in this season of suffering. It's not just love for the church and the Christians. He says for all, for non-believers, for those that we don't wanna pray for, for those we don't wanna love, for those who are the ones persecuting us and causing the suffering. Paul says, I want you to abound in love for those type of people. You see, love for others is a display of our faith. We read about it in John chapter 13. Jesus himself said that in John chapter 13, by this, by love, all people would know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the Christian faith is displayed by our love, not our church attendance, not how much we give or how we pray or how we serve. It is about our love for one another. And I think it's an important reminder for us, especially for those who are in a season of suffering, especially for those whose faith are tested right now, for those who are contemplating leaving the faith, giving up on the faith, or maybe you're just struggling with your faith, or maybe your faith is dormant. Your faith is on idle mode and you're just going through the motions. How we can evaluate and see how our faith is, is by our love for one another. How is our love. It shows our value in God. It shows how much we worship him by our love for one another. And so Paul prays that beautiful prayer, letting them know that they need to increase their love in this season of suffering. They need to increase what they do for others in this time of persecution. Because if you have faith without love, it's useless. That's what 1 Corinthians tells us. 1 Corinthians chapter two, you can write it down. It says, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse two. Useless, loveless faith is useless faith. Loveless faith is useless faith. And so Paul says, I want you to be found blameless and holy. Ain't that your prayer? That at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be found blameless and holy in his sight. And Paul says, in order to do that, you've got to love others not only Christians, but those who are persecuting you, those who aren't Christians yet. And if you wanna have that type of love, you're gonna to have to have faith in a God who makes a way, who gives that love. And so we need you to stand firm. Don't lose the faith. You're destined for suffering, but take heart. Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna face persecutions, trials, temptations. He said, the world's gonna hate you. He said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so when it feels like you're in a season of death, like you've got a death sentence from the doctor, from your marriage, from your career. Uh, if it feels like all hell is breaking loose against you, we serve a God who conquered hell, death, and the grave. And so we put our faith in him. Come on. And so Father, come on, all of this house, we just close our eyes in this moment. Father, we're just asking, Father, for you to speak to your children today. Today, we look at our faith. We realize what we signed up for. And God, I understand that this isn't easy. I understand that this isn't, Great to hear. This isn't encouraging to us that our faith is gonna be tested. But Father, in this moment, I realize, I understand, Lord, that you are with me, that you haven't left me, that this season of suffering is only temporary, that these trials and, tri and tri tribulations are only lasting for a moment, that I'm not destined for wrath, but that you're gonna save me at the coming of Christ with all the saints. I thank you for that, Father. God, in this moment, there's people in the house that are not Christians yet. They have not put their faith in you. 
And Lord, I know it's gotta be you because after me preaching that, it's not me that's convincing them to give their life to you, but you by your Holy Spirit and power right now in this moment are calling them back in. You're increasing their faith. You're drawing them into a relationship with you. And I thank you for that. People are gonna say yes to you today for the very first time. They're gonna surrender to you. Others in the room today, their faith is weak. They're in that season, that valley, that low spot where it feels like every time they take a step forward, they're getting pushed two steps back. They feel as if they're alone and abandoned, as if they don't know what to do next. Father, in this moment, may they rely on you today. May their faith be increased. May they see the hand of God in the situation. May they trust and obey. Father, for others who today, their faith is absent. They at one time gave their life to you, but the tempter came in. The adversary came in and tempted them. Maybe they gave a foothold to the devil and he came in and he's caused their faith to become idle and they're not making moves. They're not living for you. They're not living out their faith with boldness and with confidence. They're not preaching the gospel. They're not making disciples. They're not sharing the good news of what you've done in their life. Today's the day, God, that you increase their faith. Today's the day that they come back to you and they give their life to you. We thank you for that, Father. Father, as you are speaking to your children in this moment of reflection, God, we're asking God that you would come in this place and that you would touch our hearts. Those hearts that are hardened towards you today, God, would you soften them? Would you, by your Holy Spirit, draw them into a relationship with you? We thank you for that. As your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, just begin to ask the Lord what it is he wants to do in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit what it is he wants to do in your life. What do you need to start doing? What do you need to stop doing? What does God wanna do in you and through you? And as you're allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to you, I wanna talk to those in the room who would say, Michael, this God that you speak of, I don't know. The suffering that you speak of, I know of very well. I know what it's like to be flat on my back, tapped out, thrown in the towel, beat up. I know what it's like to be at rock bottom. I know what it's like to feel like everything around me is falling apart. Can I tell you that this is the place where you can step up on solid foundation, a firm foundation, that there are believers in the house that wanna support you, come alongside you, help you on this faith journey, that in this moment, if you feel like you're on sinking sand, that God has called you in this place right now to put you on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. He is the firm foundation. And so in this moment, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and you would say that I have not given my life to Christ. I have not surrendered to Him. He does not have my life. He is not first in my life, but today He is now. I'm giving my life to Him. I'm confessing with my mouth that He is Lord. I'm renouncing the world. I'm renouncing the enemy. and I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. I believe he died and rose again for me, that he hung on a cross for me and that he wants to have a relationship with me. And so Father, I'm, I'm giving my life to him. If that's you today, and you're giving, my life to, you're giving your life to Jesus, would you lift up your hands and say, that's me. I wanna know who I'm praying for today. That's me. Thank you. Anybody else? That's me. Thank you. Anybody else? Surrendering to Christ today. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Put your hands down as quietly as you can. Would you stand all over this house? We're gonna go back into 
a time of worship. This is where we call a response time. We had time to reflect. We had time to allow the Holy Spirit to, to move and stir in us. And now is our time to respond. Our altar workers are making their way to the sides. They go over there because they want to pray for you, to agree with you. Maybe you have something going on in your life and you need somebody to pray with you. They're there for that. Maybe you made a decision to follow Christ today. I would encourage you to go to them. They have resources. Not only do they wanna pray, they wanna put a Bible in your hand, a new believer's God in your hand. They wanna partner with you on this journey. And so if you raised your hand or maybe you should have, but today's your day. You're giving your life to Christ, maybe the first time or the hundredth time, but you are surrendering your life to Jesus today. Go to them. They have resources. They wanna pray with you. I'd encourage you to do that. Others, you might respond in the altars. Others, you might respond in worship. We're gonna press in because the tempters come to tempt. The adversaries come to bring opposition. And today we're gonna break through those walls of opposition. And we're gonna believe that God will do what he says he'll do. He'll set us free. He'll save us. He'll restore us. And so we're gonna pray, we're gonna worship, and then I'll come back up and lead us after that. So Father, right now we just, we cast our cares on you. Right now, Father, we come to worship you in spite of. Right now, Lord, we worship you as a new creation in Christ Jesus. We worship you as a new man, a clean man, a, a risen man, one that's not dead and wicked, not one that's covered with sin, but a new creation redeemed by the blood. And so Father, we just ask that you would come, that you'd fill us up, God, we just declare with our mouth that you're awesome, that you're a worthy God, that you're the one true God. And so, Father, would you meet us in this place? Hear the cries of your children as they respond to you. Touch them, Lord. Do signs and wonders today, miracles today in our presence, Lord. And we love you and we honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's worship together.